Welcome to Bible Over Brews. Deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I'm here with George. Hello. Mike. Hey there. Gumby. Hey, what's up? And Mike Polnick. Hello. I'm Crew Juice. We're coming at you tonight with Salvation, Theosis, and Christmas. So, Mike, that Mike, not this Mike, yes. that Mike, <laughs> please tell us about yourself. Sure. So, um, my name is Mike Polnick. I'm originally from Connecticut. Now I reside in Ohio. Um, I have an undergraduate degree from Walsh University in theology, philosophy, and ministry. I have a master's in clinical medical ethics from Case Medical School, and then my doctorate's in bioethics from Albany Medical College. Awesome. Yep. So did you say you had a master's in medical ethics? Yes, and a doctorate. Yep. Oh, nice. So here's what we want to know. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Sure. Um, essentially, the field of bioethics started back in the time of you know ancient Greece, came through uh, Catholic theology, and now it's essentially looking at ethical issues everywhere from stem cell research and genetic engineering all the way to when you pull the plug. In a nutshell, that's it. Wow. Right. That's actually pretty cool. I'd say a pretty hot topic that I was made aware of um, is uh, some religions and stuff like that. Uh, maybe they don't want like blood transfusions, and maybe it's yep. like their children, and these you know the doctors can save these children, but because of their religious beliefs, they'll hold out on it. And so it's like, should the should they support these religious beliefs and let whatever happen, let God decide, or should the you know, should the parents be, you know, should they be taken out of custody and, uh, you know, helping this kid right. as far as science will let it. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Yep, that's, that's, my, that's my world. Yeah, that raises a lot of questions. So, you also have a, uh, a fairly awesome podcast yourself. I do. It, it's, it's been in hibernation for a while. But, yeah, my, uh, my podcast is called Orthodoxy and Bioethics through Ancient Faith Radio. I highly recommend nice. it. Thank you. Thank you. Now I have to get it going again. <laughs> yeah, right. When's your next show? Uh, tomorrow. There it is. There it is. All right. Yeah, but you, yeah. you, you have a, a bunch of episodes already up, though. So. Yeah, so, I did about 16 or 20, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's plenty for people to catch up with. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of your hottest topics? Yeah, so a lot of what we'll talk about is death. What is death? When does death occur? How do we know when someone's dead? Um, is, you know the understanding of the theological basis of death, a philosophical understanding of death. Other issues is life. What is life? When does life begin? How do we know what life is? Um, the tension between patient autonomy and religious freedom. And the one area that I kind of specialize, the two areas I specialize in is psychiatric ethics, and then also the uh, kind of thanatology or the, the theology of death and the ethics of death. Um, how long do we keep a patient on medical treatment if the family says yes or the family says no and it's only based on religious beliefs? Do religious beliefs trump philosophical beliefs? What if the law says? What if the family disagrees? What if we don't consider this religion valid? So questions like that is, is where, I'm, is, is where my, my specialty is. Yeah, right. I, I, and it does raise some interesting questions, even going back to uh, that, blood, um, that blood piece. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could think of, you know, there's a law, like if someone gets taken to the emergency room unconscious, there's a, um, um, legally the doctor, regardless of the person's ability to pay or anything, they have to keep that person alive or get them stable. Right. And right. So essentially if that person's not communicating and there's no idea what the, you know, religion is, they, they could essentially do something that maybe 
the patient wouldn't want from a religious perspective or ethical perspective? Yeah, yeah, theoretically they could because, you know, when they come in and they're not able to speak for themselves, there's always the assumption um, that they would do everything to preserve life. Right. And I think especially when it comes to pediatric cases, the, the tension becomes, well, you know, we, we always think the parents act in the best interest of the child. And at what point does the state have the right to say this, they're not acting in the best interest of the child? And when we kind of start making those decisions from a non-religious point of view, or even, I guess you could say, from a religious point of view, the question becomes, do we consider one religion more valid or more rational than another one? I mean, do we think that, you know, Catholic theology or Orthodox theology is more rational than, you know, say, a Wiccan? And if you're going to start making those claims, what are they based in? Does the state have the right to make those claims? Interesting. Nice. While we were introducing Mike... We, uh, I pour the, the first beer, so the other mic, please tell. All right, this one comes from Forest City Brewery, and it's a spiced Belgian quad. It's called the Shinny, and it refers to a pond hockey or street hockey, and this quad will warm you up after a game on the pond with its 10% ABV, and it's all oh, spiced man. with clove addition. Um, it is a 22 IBU. Nice. I see it's a uh, a 10.3 in the ABV, huh? That's right. It's oh, a little bit high. Yeah, but it's <laughs> sneaky. Yeah. It is. All right. But, uh, yeah, this Cheers. place is... Yeah. No. yeah. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Gotta be don't leave me hanging, bro. Oh. It's nice and dark mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I like the notes. That's really good. You like this, Mike? I do like I'm this. Surprised. Oh, man. I, it's almost like a porter. It is. It's very, very porter-esque. Very, yeah, yeah porter-esque. <laughs> porter-ish. <laughs> it doesn't have, it's not quite as bitter or something, or maybe some of the spice takes that porterness away that I, I, I don't, usually don't like. Or... It's it's almost as if you poured an IPA into a porter. Right? Right. right. Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll accept it. I like it, though. It's got a little bit of that afterbite, but, uh, man, very full of flavor. Mm-hmm. Good lore is that a lot of flavor. It's really deep, really depth. See, I don't know if I can drink a lot of these. Again, I'm going to put this in that list of beers that I think yeah. one. Yeah. I'm good. I don't know if I had a six-pack. I'd... Well, in a quad, quads are a little bit on the strong side, so. Yeah, I don't, probably don't. <laughs> yeah. When <laughs> want to drink six of them and then drive home, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, I think you want Mike, are you a beer it. guy? I am. Okay. I am. I'm, I'm going to be joining you with a coffee. It's a... That's there it. are no notes or hint to it. It's simply a generic coffee from Mark's. <laughs> uh, right. I'm a coffee guy, too. Right on. Yeah. What kind of beers do you uh, typically like? Uh, I just like basic IPAs or Heineken when I don't feel like thinking very much. Mm. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to lose my ability to think. It's just sometimes I, there's too many beers to pick, and I'm like, just give me a Heineken. No, I have a yeah. similar rule. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, it yeah. is. It makes sense to to back you up because there's like there's a reason why like like Mark Zuckerberg and those guys they wear the same clothes every single day. I mean I mean same kind of clothes. I'm not gonna say they wear the same shirts every day, but like but like they'll have like five of the same shirts and they'll just have change them every single day because it's one less decision they have mm-hmm. to make. I totally agree with that actually. Yeah. Like I have some like Goldberg clothes. Yeah, I still wear it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's because because there is there is what's called a decision burnout. Yeah, mm, so. I must not be rich enough to think like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of what kind of IPAs do you uh, typically dip into? Me? Oh, just your, just the normal ones, just the ones that are local. We have a nice little brewery down here in Canton, 
Um, and I like all their stuff from Canton Brewing Company. So, okay. ooh, that's local. Yeah. That could be a future episode yeah, right there. Yeah, we have to try them out sometime. <laughs> you will. You will have to venture all the way down seventy-seven. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> that could be dangerous. That's yeah, <laughs> but it's worth it. So, we're touching on uh, the for our first topic. You're gonna love this one. Okay, we're going into salvation first. All right, that's a fun one, right? It is. And uh, we're. Yeah, we're touching uh, first on, wait, <clears throat> Calvinism. <laughs> I've had a lot of battles over this one. So, uh, brief uh, brief synopsis, uh, the five points of Calvinism. Salvation is accomplished by the almighty power of the triune God. The Father chose a people. The Son died for them. The Holy Spirit makes Christ's death effective by bringing the elect to faith and repentance, thereby causing them to willingly obey the gospel. The entire process, election, redemption, regeneration, is the work of God and is by grace alone. Thus God, not man, determines who will be the recipients of the gift of salvation. <laughs> How do you feel about that? <laughs> I think it's. I think salvation is a complicated question. I think on the one hand it seems kind of simple to say that it's it's nothing that we earn. I don't think God has a ledger upstairs where he's saying, oh, you did that good work, but then this one you weren't, your heart really wasn't in it, but you did, you know, I, I think grace is a gift. I okay. think God is a gift. And I think that there's also a response to that gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, I think God's desire is for all to be saved. Right. I think that's very clear in the epistles. But when it comes to a predestination, I think there would be there would be a distinction made between whether God chose certain people to be saved ahead of time or whether he knew they were going to be. In a sense, he already knows what's going to happen, but I don't think that knowledge meant that the decisions were already made ahead of time and that there wasn't free will in the action. Yeah. Now, see, uh, now obviously you're not a Calvinist then. <laughs> I am I am not. <laughs> <laughs> because according to Calvinist rules, uh it's only by divine selection. Yeah, that's 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 part of the the five uh, the five points, um, like the first ones that they, they remember it by uh, tulip. Tulip is their is their go to their key. Um, the first one is T. It stands for total depravity, meaning that all of us are a bunch of miserable fools. So <laughs> no further explanation uh-huh. either. Right, right. It's Calvinism. Right. Evangelicals. Right. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, U stands for unconditional election. So this is where it really gets thick. So unconditional election is the doctrine which states that God chose those whom he was pleased to bring to a knowledge of himself, not based upon any merit shown by the object of his grace, and not based upon his looking forward to discovery who would accept the offer of the gospel. God has elected based solely upon the counsel of his own will, some for glory and others for damnation. He has done this act before the foundation of the world. That's uh, that's the you of Calvinism. Hmm. Kind of makes you wonder why you would go out and preach it all, right? <laughs> it kind of, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder why we'd even bother joining a church if it's already taken care of. Right? <laughs> and I'm sure uh, some people do feel that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, you don't believe salvation is with a capital S. It's It's a life process. Well, we'll, I, I don't. I we'll think it's a both one. and. I don't think. I don't think it's an either or. I think that there can be that there, there's often a moment where you decide that you're going to accept the gift, mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think that demands a response. I think there's a difference between salvation and theosis in, in, in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's... I think it's so complicated that whatever we say is going to obviously fall short. I don't mean that as, as a generic <laughs> yeah, yeah, answer. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a mystery to the process. But I, I do think that as adults, I, there, there should be a moment where you can at least say you're going to go along with this. Now, whether that means a necessarily a, quote, born again moment or not, or whether you should be born in the spirit or the water, if you need baptism, or if you don't need baptism, or what if you were on your way to being baptized and you got in a car accident, you know. <laughs> These are these are questions I dealt with in grad school, but I think for the most part, it's it's a gift. I think grace is a gift, and I think it's everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, and I think it's it's a it's a process of synergy between us and God to work together. Um, but I think there definitely does have to be our participation in that and our agreeing to go along with it. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. I like that. That's so good. there's uh so the L stands for limited atonement. So, limited atonement is a doctrine offered in answer to the question, for whose sins did Christ die? Or atone, rather. The Bible teaches that Christ died for those whom God gave him, gave to him. Christ died indeed for many people, but not all. Specifically, Christ died for the invisible church, the sum total of those who would ever slightly bear the name Christian. That's, uh, again, in Calvinism. So, they, they believe that it's only those whom he pre-selected before the you know, before the beginning of the world, those are the ones. Right. Those are the ones he died for. Yeah. There's uh, I irresistible grace. Another fun point. <laughs> the result of God's irresistible grace is the certain response by the elect to the inward call of the Holy Spirit. When the outward call is given by the evangelist or minister of the Word of God, Christ Himself teaches that all whom God has elected will come to acknowledge of Him. Men came to Christ, or come to Christ, in salvation when the Father calls them. And the very Spirit of God leads God's beloved to repentance. So, once again, it has to do with those who are elected. And then the last one is the perseverance of the saints, which I think that most branches would say there has to be a perseverance of saints. So, uh, perseverance of the saints is a doctrine which states that the saints, those whom God has saved, will remain in God's hand until they are glorified and brought to abide with him in heaven. Uh, Romans 8.28 makes it clear that when a person truly has been regenerated by God, he will remain in God's stead. So uh, more or less it goes to unconditional salvation is more what it comes down to. Okay, so I, I've always had uh, a lot of misgivings for Calvinism. And I've known a lot of Calvinists, but uh, it's, it's, it's a very arrogant branch of the church. I mean, more or less, you could say, "Well, I'm saved. Too bad you're not." I mean, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's not cool. It's not it, kosher. It's it, not. It, it, it's, it is, it is, it is obnoxious. I um, <laughs> my uh, I was having a story shared with me about um Jehovah Witnesses, and uh, how uh, I had some friends that were on a honeymoon, and they were hanging out with this other couple, and they were having like such a great time with them, and then uh. At the very end, they were, uh, <laughs> at the very end, they're like, oh, you know, it's nice talking to you. And then, like, literally, they're like, oh, too bad you're not going to, uh, you know, make it to heaven with us or whatever. <laughs> you know, because 177, because they weren't, you know, Jehovah's, so yeah, that's kind of disheartening or whatever to hear that. It's kind of right. arrogant, yeah. A little obnoxious to hear from somebody. I, I get you, Jesus. Right. <laughs> but that's exactly how, that's exactly how the, the Calvinist church is. So if you're not a Calvinist... Obviously, right. 
you're not part of the people who are saved. Mm-hmm. You, you're just not going to make it. Sorry, you're a nice guy and all, but... <laughs> it's a good run, bro, but nope. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry you got to burn. You're right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's... And that's that's actually why they created uh, Arminianism. So the Arminians, which I'm, I'm I'm not really Arminian, but but the Arminian was a better answer than Calvinism. Um, I'm not familiar with Arminianism. Well, the Arminians are a lot of them were Wesleyan, so uh, so they're they're definitely a more forgiving there you branch go. of the George's church. Got that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, no, you're good. I have to be honest. I haven't been. Uh, too familiar with any denomination here in the West, not too many, that I don't feel that slight air of, if you're not a part of our uh, specific denomination, you're not making it. Right. I've always felt that undertow, no matter which church I was a and part of. I'm with you. I also feel that way. So, and again, it may just be an undertow, you know. I also find it incredibly obnoxious that... <laughs> I gotta watch my words here. Sorry, that was the beer talking. Nice I also nice. find it odd that um, the amount of intolerance or just the amount of accusations that are made um, about other religions and other de- denominations when uh, all they really know is the religion they were born into. Yeah. You know, like they, they inherited the religion of their parents and just they know that's the one. Like they know it, and uh, but they haven't sought after or so- seeked out any other information. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, that's that's one of the things that I liked about um, talking to my different Orthodox friends because, like, unlike unlike a lot, a lot of my Protestant friends who won't even talk to a Muslim person, <laughs> um, uh, they're quite open to it, and uh, I mean, they're they're open, you know, open arms and willing to share and talk with them and everything else. So, um, isn't that your experiences? Yeah, I I think that what you, what I think at some point I, I would hope, and and I and I hear what what you're saying. I think at some point I would want the people that belong in the churches to kind of think that theirs is right, because you know I would hope that they're in a church that they believe is correct. So there would have to be something about that particular church that they think is right. So while I think there's a little bit of hubris in it, there's also a little bit of well, I would hope that you, you know I would hope that somebody wouldn't be a member of a church they didn't think was right. right. Um, you know, it's like, well, no, I don't agree with anything this church says. I just go there because, you know, I don't know. Why not? Um, I would think that is the answer. I, th- I think that I would say that's probably my experience with a lot of people. Um, I, I feel like there isn't a whole lot of education that they're just going to their church because why not? This is right because why not? Again, it's just yeah. something they inherited. It's not something they've really sought after. There's such a large scope of religion, um, religious practice, knowledge, so much out there, but they're just so committed. They're just, why not? This is what my parents gave me. Why not? This is right. You're wrong. Yeah, and I, and I think it brings up an interesting question. I mean, I remember in uh, grad school, one of my professors said, I'm culturally Catholic, but I'm not theologically Catholic. <laughs> but you know, but it, it, it you know, we did, I, did a, um, I did a presentation a couple of years ago on Amish bioethics. Oh, wow. And we had to ask the, you know, I had to pose the question: Is being Amish a theology? Is it a church or is it a culture? Is being Jewish a, a faith or is it a culture? And really, what's the distinction between the two? Can you be culturally Jewish and not theologically Jewish? Hmm, and if yes. that's true, can you be culturally Christian and not theologically Christian? I think we have a lot of cultural Christians, but sure. maybe not theological Christians. Right. Yeah. So point. I think to your point about not questioning your church. I think we also don't necessarily question a lot of other things that we're just raised in because we happen to be. You know, we happen to find ourselves awake one day in a certain epoch, and I don't know that we question a lot of the things 
that we just assume are correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so that's true. I would take that and extend it to a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Or even having the mindset that, uh, you know, not necessarily that my church is right and yours is wrong, but that there's a larger church outside of the West. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, that the fact it was, I remember the first time I, I realized there were Christians in the Middle East. Shocking. Yes. <laughs> you know how shocking that is, right? And they call him Allah. They call God Allah. Right. right. <laughs> you mean Jesus wasn't, you know, from New York or? Yeah. No, he did not have blonde hair and blue eyes. White, white, <laughs> white guy, right. blonde hair. So even yeah. having that mindset that's just kind of open in that sense, it, this is a newer thing in my life probably within the past five years. So. Yeah. Well, bring us over to uh, Armenian, not Armenian. There's a huge difference. <laughs> Armenian is a belief. Armenian is a people. Right. I can't take you serious in that hat, man. <laughs> yeah, when you said there was a lot of Wesleyan Arminians, I was like, huh, okay. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Arminian, not Arminian. Yeah. <laughs> so there's uh, the five articles of remonstrance refers to the document drawn up in 1610 by the followers of Jacobus Arminius. A remonstrance is literally an expression of opposition or protest which in this case was a protest against the Calvinist doctrine of predestination contained in the Belgic Confession. Consequently, those followers of Arminius who drafted this protest were given the name Remonstrants. This document was, was condemned as heresy by the Reformed churches at the Synod of Dort. These were the Methodist churches. Uh, later developments created the Holiness Church branches, <laughs> such as the Church of God, Church of Christ, and Church of the Nazarene. So each one of these five articles, as you can guess, are going to be in opposition to the previous five articles, which were Calvinistic. So like the first one, that God by an eternal and unchangeable purpose is Jesus Christ his Son, before the foundation of the world, hath determined out of the fallen sinful grace of men to save in Christ for Christ's sake and through Christ those who, through the grace of the Holy Ghost, shall believe on this his son Jesus and shall persevere in this faith and obedience of faith through this grace even to the end and on the other end to leave the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin and under wrath and to condemn those. So the difference the difference between the two, okay, I'm not going to finish because these are all long-winded. <laughs> um, the difference between the two is, one, is that the first article inside uh, Calvinism points to the fact that they are predestined to be saved. Whereas inside the Arminian side, it's those who will believe who are saved. So one side says that you know God chose everybody else that he wa- that he wanted, right? Chose the people he wanted because you know they're pretty, and <laughs> and the other side says that those who believe will help will, will be saved. So. Zero ugly people in heaven. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Calvinists only believe in 90210, so. Right, okay. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> so, I guess now with the, oh gosh, Arminians, not the Armenians. Not Armenian. Armenian. Arminians. <laughs> um, so, is it just, you, like, it's just a simply, like, you have to believe and you'll get into heaven? Is that what That's we're discussing? It. Yeah. That's it. So, it's just a matter of having that faith. Yep. So you, it's not even like, is there like a good and a bad? Like, is there like yes. a heaven and hell? Like, if you believe in your bad, are you going to hell? Or is it just say, if you believe, so, you're going so, upstairs? So the, the, Ar- the Arminians, the way the Arminians believed was that anybody 
who believed would be saved. However, they also did believe in a uh, a changing throughout your lifetime. They did believe that that you could become better and better throughout your lifetime in your in your faith and your stance and your journey. So that's kind of where they changed a little bit from the Calvinist, mm-hmm. because obviously, if you're predestined, you're already you're already as good as you're gonna get. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so I. And I guess, I don't know, Mike, just because uh, I know you, you study this, like, with the Calvinism, I mean, who, was it determined, like, did people know, like, did they have, like, a, a, I don't know, assumption of who was chosen already, and then they were treated differently, was that the case, or? I have no idea on Calvinism. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, no, it's all right. <laughs> no, that's okay. okay. You're going to come in a lot in the second half. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, Mike. Sorry about that. You got to answer, Mike. Mike. You got to answer. <laughs> answer it, Mike. Answer it, new Mike. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> so, obviously, the second article is that the agreeable, this is going to be a little bit old English, so pardon me a little bit here. Oh, boy. Um, no, no. Here comes the accent. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. It, it helps. <laughs> That agreeably thereunto, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, died for all men and for every man, so that he has obtained for them all by his death on the cross redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Yet that no one actually enjoys this forgiveness of sins except the believer, according to the world word of the Gospel of John. Um, once again, it goes on to quote several verses, and it goes back to those who believe. So, every one of these articles is complete opposition. Yeah, I'm, you know what? I'll just rifle through the next couple just to get through them. <laughs> um, so the next one, Article Three, is that man is not uh, not saving grace of himself nor of the energy of his free will, inasmuch as he, in the state of apostasy and sin, can of and by himself neither think, will, nor do anything that is truly good. So they don't deny the corrupted nature of mankind that they have experienced through the world. Um, Article 4, that this grace of God is the beginning, continuance, and accomplishment of all good, even to the extent that the regenerate man himself, without provient or assistance, awakening, following, and cooperative grace, can neither think, will, nor do good. Once again, the corrupted will of mankind. These are a little bit redundant. (laughs) And the last one is that the triune God, through his grace, is saving mankind. Okay. So, so Calvinism has its five things, and then... And then uh, and Arminian is pretty much the opposite of everything that the Calvinists said. Okay. So, okay, but they, had, but they also have... But the one thing they do agree on is that there's five. Yes. Okay. Because, you know, why not? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they agree, they agree mankind is bad. Well, there's a corrupted nature. Right. Well, I was yeah. say the Armenian, you just said they weren't capable of good in that, like, two slides ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Corrupted nature. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and there will be a difference coming up. So, so is, hey. Is that the same as saying being born into sin? Is that what? More or less, yeah. More okay. or less. Now, the one thing, now, and, this is, and I'll, I'll bring this up again. Remember that a lot of this is based on Augustinian theology. So, for lack of a better term, it's yeah. Augustinian the- theology. Western theology branches predominantly out of Augustine. A lot of other people as well, but he kind of was the impetus behind it. Uh, so, your 
Protestant branches of the church are going to reflect a lot of the way that the changes happen throughout the Catholic Church, you know, because they changed throughout the years as well, um, all the way up into the 60s. So they, they, they were still having more conferences and changing more. That was Vatican II, right? So... So, um, so let's let's hit this. Hey, Mike, how much do you know about the Catholic side of things? Um, I was going. I was almost a priest. There we go. There we go. So good. Okay. Can can I? I, Well, I was going to school to be a priest. I got to be careful, but yeah. Okay. It well in in, uh, Roman Catholicism or in Orthodoxy. Roman Catholicism. Okay. Awesome. So. What would your stance be on the uh, on this on salvation from a Roman Catholic standpoint? I would say that a Roman Catholic would understand. First, they would ask the question with um, kind of the du- the dual teaching, so the teaching of the Church along in Holy Tradition, along with the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. They would say that apostolic succession would allow the Pope, in union with the bishops, to make statements that would help them to understand and define these things and that the Church helps understand uh, the Bible, and the Bible illuminates the Church. So to that end, it would be an understanding of being, you know, being united with Christ and then performing Matthew 25, doing the things that are necessary that a Christian would do, and finding those opportunities for grace, and those opportunities to preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Matthew also includes not... <laughs> Matthew's the one that also includes not letting women talk in church, right? No, that's the end of the epistles. That's the, are you sure that's <laughs> yeah, not that's Matthew? not Matthew. Matthew never talked about the church life. No, okay, okay. <laughs> no, my bad. I, did, I should have brought my my uh, my Bible with me. My bad. That's okay. Um, this one in your in, in your uh, in your phone. Should be in your heart, George. You're right. Should I, be do, in your I heart. do have the whole internet on me right now. Um, so I don't know. Just going, Mike. New Mike. Yeah. New Mike. Um, just going off of what uh, what Juice was talking about. Um, mm-hmm. He was talking about the changes that occurred, like what, what up until the '60s. You were talking about, yeah, that was Vatican II. Has, has there been any? Of course, Vatican II. I can't forget. Um, has there been any significant changes since then? And do you think that maybe there? I don't know. Catholicism maybe is ready for some changes, or there's some potential for some significant changes, or do you think it's pretty much rooted in where it's at? So I think we. I think when you look at the history, I remember one of my theology professors. Uh, pointed out something that every 500 years there seems to be a pretty big shakeup in the history of the church. You know, around mm. roughly the first 500, after 500, when we had the Oriental or the Coptic churches um, separate, uh, about 1000 when you had the split between the East and the West. 1500 is roughly when the Reformation occurred, and I think around 2000 we've seen kind of the the increase of the of the uh, evangelicals in the quote mega churches in the U.S. So when you ask, is you know, is the Catholic Church, and, and I can I only I can't speak officially as a Catholic. Um, I guess you. I... <laughs> if if I think that they're ready for a change, I, I think the understanding would be yes and no, um, and that's a very Catholic answer. It's it's a both and answer. <laughs> um, it's saying that there are certain things that will never change. There are certain fundamental truths within the Catholic Church that are unchangeable. Um, the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption. Um, and, and things like that, but I think also some of the practices that aren't magisterial and papal infallibility is completely misunderstood, I would say, for the most part. Um, not everything the Pope says is infallible. If the Pope says, I like, you know, Starbucks coffee, it doesn't mean that it's, you know, a teaching from God. But 
I think that there are some traditional practices that can change. I think, you know, like Juice said, in Vatican II created a, a change in the understanding of the church. Now, whether it didn't, necess- it didn't really change church teaching as much as it might have caused us to think about it differently. And this is something I tell my students. I say, when you were a young child, when you realized what your parents were, when you, when you were young and your parents were taking candy away or they were telling you to go to bed, you might have thought that they were very mean. But the more you've grown older and mature, you realize that they were actually loving you. And I think that's kind of how humanity has understood God and I think how we still continue to grow in Christ. I think when, you know, when the church was younger, we, we didn't really understand because we didn't have as much experience with the Spirit of God working with the people. But the more we've come along, the more we can ask different questions and understand differently. And it's not that God changes. God can't change. But I think the way we think about God and understand God should change in the sense that we grow in our maturity and our knowledge and understanding. Excellent. Now, um, I uh, definitely like, especially, I mean, I would say the last five years or so, there's been like a growing movement and it's definitely in regards to um, the treatment of women, uh, women mm-hmm. in the workplace, um, sure. women in uh, positions of leadership. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like there's any kind of, um, I don't know, progression? Is there any kind of momentum um, that would allow women to have, you know, positions of leadership and clergy? I think there's I think there's a distinction between position of leadership and clergy. Um, yeah, it was a I think broad women movie. have leadership positions right, they um, do. within the church. They do within universities. Some of my, I would say the most difficult professor I ever had was a nun. Um, she she did a graduate course on the Trinity, and that <laughs> hurt. I can tell you. <laughs> I'll never right. forget Sister Mary teaching that class. Um, but I, I think that there's you know without getting into the whole history of whether we had female deacons or not. I, I think that it's 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 something that the church is looking at, and and again, I can't speak officially as a Catholic or for the Catholics, obviously, right. but I think that it's it's they're growing in understanding and they're asking different questions. And I think when you ask different questions, you get different answers. Um, my understanding is Pope Francis has moved some women into a different position within the church. Um, so I I, th- I think things are are kind of moving in that direction. I, th- I think there's at least an awareness that maybe they should revisit some of these questions. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely have. Uh, I mean, uh, when I was a kid, I was actually Roman Catholic, so I come from that background. Um, and I do have a lot of respect for the the Roman Catholic Church. Um, more a lot more so than I do for a lot of the, for lack of a better term, the Reformation. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. because there's there's so many branches of the Reformation now, over over forty thousand branches of the Reformation, that a lot of them make the church just look bad. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just especially when you get to your more popular charismatic and televangelist side, it's it just makes us look bad. <laughs> so so and, you know, and it's funny. I actually just had uh, an art. Well, I will, I'll say a discussion with uh, several people yesterday um, when they brought up uh, uh, child abuse in, a, in the Roman Catholic Church. And I said, okay, okay. Well, how many cases has there been in the Roman Catholic Church? You know, and then went over some, some, some numbers, right? I said, okay. Now, how many in different branches of the charismatic churches? Okay. Now, how large is the Roman Catholic Church and how many people are working in it right now? And you find out that it is actually less 
than like a 0.0.1% that has done anything wrong. <laughs> so, right. I, I think. So. I see where you're going with that. I think from a public relations perspective, I think, you know, obviously you you assume that these people in the church are a uh, people of a higher morality, so it should be even lesser than that or, or null. Well, um, I also think the part of the covering up, yeah. though, was also a, a But they weren't. That, that's just portion. it, though. Everybody thinks they're covering up. They didn't. That's just it. The fact, the reason why it was so public was because they didn't hide it. They went public, and they held trials for all that. It was public trials they held for that. So it wasn't covered up. They went on trial for it. So I wish I was ready for this conversation because I, <laughs> I, like I, I feel like I'd be ready to spar you, but I, I disagree, but I just don't have my sources. I don't have my ducks in a row right now. <laughs> all right. So I'll let you get away with this one. Future too. conversation. Right, yeah, future well, conversation. We'll hold it on later. Plus, it's hard to argue with him with his hat. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that when we do the, the history of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay. That's an upcoming episode. All right. I'm solid. I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. We'll do it with, uh, with, I, with I, David Ligoria. I, I will you know, comment on this subject is that I do feel largely overall, from a media standpoint, the Catholic Church in general, was thrown under the bus when there's so much corruption with every other part of the Western church. I feel like they were thrown under the bus a lot. Not to say that they didn't do any wrong. They did. But to make it look as if that's all they did, that's kind of the viewpoint I got. Like, oh my gosh, that's all the Catholic church and priests are about is just abusing kids? No, absolutely not. Right. But you got that impression from media. It right. was it was big news, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's a ton of it from you know rabbinical priests that you don't see on the news. Yeah. But there's a ton of it within you know uh, rabbinic Judaism. Right. Right. It's it, it runs it runs rapid. Yeah. But you don't see that in media. And it, but yeah, so that's pretty much it. Like they, it's all the, uh, you know, it's all that story. They never get to the uh, volunteering, the the uh, community service work. Like that's all forgot about now. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we think about it. How many how many schools and hospitals and orphanages are opened up by the Roman Catholics? I mean, it's it's numerous. I mean, it's they 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 run more schools and hospitals than anybody else in the world. So, yeah. Right, you'd agree, right? <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm out of this one. <laughs> well, is there corruption in the Orthodox Church? There's corruption anywhere there's Everywhere. human beings. Exactly. Yes. I mean that's so. So I, sadly, yeah. Every time we're involved with something, we see humans seem to have a problem. Do something. <laughs> right. Right. The world needs to be run by robots. What's that? <laughs> I said the world needs to be. The world, the world needs to be ran by robots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at least from my viewpoint, when I see like, because I know that corruption does exist in the in the Orthodox faith. However, you know, from a media standpoint, I was never given the impression that that's all the Orthodox Church was about was corruption and and you know hurting people or anything like that. Where I felt differently about the Catholic, like man, for a while there, it's like, oh my gosh, stay away from the Catholics or a Catholic <laughs> Church or a priest. You know, don't go down the aisle. And, you know, you just kind of got that impression for a while. So I, I never got that from the Orthodox side yeah. or from, an, uh, you know, other major religions. So yeah. except maybe Islam now, but there's so many stereotypes about oh, that now. Right. But, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Speechless. Yeah. That, take, I think <laughs> right. they, I would actually go ahead and say they take the cake. Yeah. These days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, poor me. Yeah. Poor guys. They get, they get eaten up in the media. But that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Which we've covered, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. We'll bring Khalil back in for another one. <laughs>
Yeah, so from uh, from one of their, um, this is from Catholic.com. They have uh, some things to say about this. So uh, the church understands that we all are sinners in need of a Savior. We are inheritors of original sin. We'll cover that in a second. And it's all consequences, and by actual sin, we distance ourselves from God. We can't save ourselves, but we don't need to. Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins. The Catholic Church teaches that salvation comes through Jesus alone since he is the one mediator between God and man. The saving grace won by Jesus is offered as a free gift to us, accessible through repentance, faith, and baptism. We turn away from our sins, we are sorry for them, and we believe in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Repentance shows our willingness to turn away from things that keep us from God, and baptism renews us, filling us with the grace necessary to have faith and to live. This belief is more than just head knowledge. Even the demons have that. It's more than just believing you're saved. Even the Pharisees had that. True saving faith is one lived and exhibited daily. It is faith working through love. Sometimes the church is accused of teaching salvation by works, but this is an empty accusation. This idea has been consistently condemned by the church. Good works are required by God because he requires obedience to his commands and promises to reward us with eternal life if we obey. But even our obedience is impossible without God's grace. Even our good works are God's gift. This is the real biblical plan of salvation. That is from Catholic.com. So, comments, anybody? No. Sounds pretty Catholic. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so as, a, as, a, as a beginner, yes. um, reading the Bible for my first time, um, so I, what's the relationship between Jesus and God? Like, I always hear like Jesus is God's son, but then I always hear like Jesus is God. Oh, wait. Can oh, you help so, me understand it? Yeah, we're gonna have to spend a whole podcast on this. Oh, is one. that it? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Mike, no. I'm sorry. I'm a noob here, so I apologize. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. So, the easiest way to explain that is that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are God. Okay. They're the same in uh, essence. Okay. Okay, but they are different as entities, different as people or personalities, and it is a mystery to us. Anything else you say past that is going to be misconstrued, right? Right. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So you've got, um, you know, there's this. You can look at the the Carl Rahner wrote a book called The Trinity, and on page twenty two, every every Catholic grad student knows this. On page twenty two of the Trinity, he says the economic Trinity is the imminent Trinity, and the imminent Trinity is the economic Trinity. <laughs> and you know at some point we can get into like the hypostatic union and all that stuff but essentially what you're seeing is that um christ is 100 percent god and 100 percent man at the exact same time which is a logistical inconsistency and the logos yeah right and also the fact that god is one and three at the same time is a logistical inconsistency to our minds that's, that's common core math it makes sense <laughs> that's right yeah yeah that, that's that new math um, so when you when you when you look at the really you know some some would say that um the father needs that you can't be a father without having a you know without having a child and having a child would determine that you would have to have a parent and that the holy spirit is the love between the father and the son uh that's one way to look at it the mm -hmm. protestants and the catholics will say that the holy spirit proceeds from the father and the son in orthodoxy, that we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the from the Father, the filioque, um, right? What's that? The the, the filioque, the filioque, yeah, 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 from the you know with the Father. Um, I'm sorry, with the Son. 
and from the Latin. And what you what you basically find is that the I think the most important part, if I can have a couple seconds here, mm. it, is that the being made in the image and likeness of God, like we are, the, the Trinity is inherently a relational ontology. And what that means is the very nature, the very essence of God is a relationship. God exists in, in a community. God exists in a family. God exists in a relationship. So if we're made in the image and likeness of God, that means that our very nature is to exist within, with other people. And if you think about it, there's nothing in a reality that exists without something else. Mm. So by understanding that wow. Trinitarian nature, we understand that we come, like John Paul II said in his encyclical on work, we come to know who we are through our actions. Through our actions, we come to have a reflection on us. Through our interactions with other people, we come to know each other. And I think that's why you see that we were made to live in a family. We were made to live in a team. We were made to live in community because the, because uh, God's, God's a community by his very nature. I like that's that. awesome. That's a good point. Great point. Yeah. It's a big mic drop. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad I'm not the only one confused about the uh, Trinity question. <laughs> so. No, I thought, it was, uh, I thought it was concisely put. I thought it was quite concisely put. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> no? I mean, when you grow up with, you know, a lot of this stuff, then I, I think it's easier for us to say that. But for those who aren't uh, that familiar with it, it, it is like common core math these days. It's like, man, what, what do you mean three is one and one is three and we're all but... Well, think for, about it. Think about it. Okay. Uh, and, and, and this is going to be a very, very, very rough analogy but right best kind if you exist <laughs> then you have to acknowledge you exist right you think therefore you are got it there's two parts already because you know you're there and you are there right okay but to acknowledge that you are there something else has to be there so uh, our, I, I, that's already three that's that's already oh. three right there so the fact that you realize who you are is two because you are acknowledging that you exist. Right. And to exist, there has to be something else present. Gotcha. That's already three. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, in, you know, it's not as easy to sell for people outside. Even, even within the church, we have so many different denomination splits over the idea of 40, the Trinity. Thousand. So, you know, for us to say that it's that easy of, of a, like, a concept, it's really not. Right. You know, even as small as the numbers are, three and one, you know, one and three, it's like we still have so many uh, debates about it, you know? And so I can't, so from the people from the outside, they're like, yeah, I'm not even going to try, you know? Until you guys get your ducks in order, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to weigh it on it. <laughs> I had a talk with, uh, with a, uh, a Jehovah's Witness about this. Mm -hmm. So, and he said, uh, he said, it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> How could one person be three people? Yeah, and I yeah. said, hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that the creator of the universe, all existence, all dimensions, all time, space-time, everything down to quantum physics, you're saying that because you can't comprehend his nature, he can't exist? How, how arrogant is that? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean... We can't even comprehend quantum physics, and we know it exists. So you're going to tell me that because you can't understand God's nature, who created all existence? 
then well, it doesn't make sense. In general, I, what I'm saying though is quantum physics a, an easy subject or is it difficult? Oh my God, it's astronomically it's difficult, difficult right? <laughs> so for the average person who may not even get past, I don't know, let's just say the first year of math in college, or even if you make it through high school at the highest level, it's a tough subject to deal with. Yeah. So that's one reason why we have so many denomination splits in different, you know, interpretations. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I, you know, I was reading uh, my kid. I have a seven-year-old son, my youngest son, reading his Bible stories to him that my mom bought a book. It was a pop-up Jesus book. Really awesome. And I'm reading all the stories of the Bible all the way from the beginning, all the way to the New Testament, right? And from the very beginning, it, it, you know, it says God created, and then, you know, God this, God that, God this. And I could see the puzzled look on his face. He's like, Dad, you keep saying God, but God's not in any of the pictures. Where is he? So even from the very inception, the whole concept is hard to, you know, to get. Wrap your mind around, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I don't get it, Dad. Everything you teach me otherwise is opposed to this. <laughs> right, yeah. Like everything's got a like a solid answer. Exactly. Know, an objective piece to it. Yeah, right. Right. So it's definitely something we have to grow in, so Well. So I, I, I get like I, I appreciate your you know, I, I don't just totally dismiss your saying, yeah, it's not that easy well, to get. Well, right. I appreciate it, especially since Juice attacked me. <laughs> <laughs> no. I can I can tell you that after taking my class on the Trinity, I understood it less. <laughs> right no you can't say that you yeah, know i'm telling because i'm you know we i mean you know, it was it was grad school and it was sister mary mccormick and she's brilliant phd theologian just every you know three hours a night she'd wipe the floor with us over stuff that i at the end i was just and i had to understand the eastern and the, and the western under differences too yeah which was even worse, you know, we had to read like three books and she's like, here, read this extra one by Carl Casper, I think it was, um, a, um, a, a Catholic theologian. So I was like, sure, I'll read four books on the Trinity because that's easy. Um, <laughs> and I still, don't, I still don't know a thing about it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Join us for the rest of the conversation in part two.